I want to take a, a moment of just a personal privilege before we get into uh, the message this morning, just to say a word of, uh, of thank you uh, for, the, for last month. Uh, it was Pastor Appreciation Month, and so many of you um, gave me very sweet cards and encouragement, notes of encouragement and, and contributed to a, a very generous gift. Uh, and so I thank you for that. I, I was very humbled and very much appreciative, and I've kept many of those notes. They're good for me to keep and read when you're having one of those days, you know. We all have some of those days, so I, I do appreciate it, and very, very sincerely thank you for that. So it meant a lot to me, and I appreciate it, and wanted to extend and express that to you. Now, 100 years ago, 100 years ago today, the 11th month of the, or I'm sorry, the 11th hour of the uh, 11th, I guess the 11th minute of the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, that, um, that it ended. War War One ended after the loss of almost 9 million soldiers. Can you believe that? I, I didn't realize that until I saw 9 million soldiers. Great Britain, France, Germany, Austria, Hungary each lost over a million soldiers in that great war. In fact, um, Germany and, and Austria, well over a million soldiers. The United States lost 126,000 uh, soldiers in World War I. And on that 11th day of the 11th month of, of 1918, in a railway car, uh, the war was ended. Germany had run out of soldiers and the ability to fight the war and um, was facing imminent invasion, and so they signed that Treaty of Versailles, which ended that war. The year later, that day was marked with um, a remembrance that would become Armistice Day and would remain um, Armistice Day. In 1938, Armistice Day was made a holiday, a federal holiday, and then following World War II and Korea, Armistice Day became for us Veterans Day which is what we celebrate today. Now, it's not just an American recognition. Um, countries that were involved in that war and in subsequent wars remember as well, different name. In fact, in Canada, May, what's it called in Canada? It is Armistice Day, okay. In Canada, Armistice Day. In uh, Great Britain, I believe it's Remembrance Day, if, if yeah, a Remembrance Day, and it is it is signified, and I did not know this, with the selling of, um, or veterans' affairs are often supported with the selling of red poppies. Did you guys know this? Okay, I, you didn't, okay, that, this was new. See, I learn things when I, when I study for sermons. And, um, I mean, I knew the color was red, but for the red poppies, a poem by John McCrae calls Flanders Fields. Yeah, and, and uh, it was new to me, but it, it says that in Flanders Fields, the, the red poppies blow um, between the crosses row to row. And it, it said, goes on to say, we are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunsets glow. Um, and then it, it goes on to say that um, lived and loved, here we lie in Flanders fields. And, and it was written by John McRae, in the aftermath of, a, of a, a good friend of his who was buried there in Flanders Fields in Belgium. 
and he noticed how quickly the poppies um, started to grow. And so it becomes um, a commemoration of that and certainly of, of those who have, uh, have given their life. And so, so we celebrate and we recognize that and, and red's the color of the day and of much of the celebration and much of, of what you wear. But, but I want to go back for a moment before we get to the scripture to World War I because it was initially known as, do you remember the, what it was originally called? Yeah, it was called, you had me, I mean, it was called the Great War. I mean, it was called the Great War. It was called the World War at one point. But it was also dubbed the War to End All Wars. Um, it's attributed either to H.G. Wells or Woodrow Wilson, a few, few different places. But it was the War to End All Wars, except it wasn't. Except it wasn't. It would become World War I about 20 years later at the start of World War II. And last night I had the privilege, as Tony and I have had the privilege of doing for almost every year that I've, I've served here as your pastor, um, Colonel Warren invites us every year to the um, Marine Corps birthday bash. So we were, uh, that was, yeah, that was last night. So I know some of you have been in years past. So we were out at, um, at um, IMG with uh, with. Colonel Warren and Rosemary and, and others and, and celebrating the birthday of the of the Marine Corps. But as they do, they they not only have the veterans stand, obviously, but they do something interesting. They have the veterans stand um, according to the the conflicts or the theaters of war that they fought in. So there were a few like Colonel Warren who are World War II vets, and that's a very small um, group of, of men. Uh, but then they also then started to work through the subsequent theaters, um, Korea, Vietnam, uh, Desert Storm, um, Operation Freedom, some that I, you know, I didn't even, weren't familiar with the names of, but the places where our men and women now have served and, and risked their lives. And it, it, it became for me just a reminder that we all know that the war to end all wars didn't end all wars. It was, it was an optimistic hope. Um, that, you know, did not become a reality and, and has not become a reality. And the cynics will tell you that it, it will never become a reality. But it is our call to fight for peace. It is our call to push and to, to work for peace. I mean, that's our prayer. Every Sunday you say it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we know that's, that's our, our push, but, but it has not become the reality which we've lived in. I was reading, and I am reading, a um, historic novel um, on World War II, and in it is a conversation based on an actual conversation toward the, um, during the final, kind of the final push toward Germany by the Allied forces in the East as Russia was pushing from the West, and the conversation is between General Omar Bradley um, who is expressing an optimistic viewpoint, a hope that this war will, that, that humanity will learn something from this war. And in this conversation, there is a cynic who um, expressed in quite strong terms his belief that will never happen. And the cynic, will not surprise you at all, was another general by the name of George Patton. Um, 
And, and it, it's just an interesting contrast of, of these two approaches, the, the hopeful side, which Omar Bradley expressed, and the, the cynical side, which certainly was, was patent. We just recognize and we appreciate those who continue to make the, the, the sacrifice and those of you that we recognize. But, but what we hope for is, is that um, there will become a day when it will all stop, but it hasn't yet. Not in that respect, but it has in another respect, in another cycle of, of sacrifice, if you will. And let me let that lead into our scripture this morning. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses uh, 24 through 28. This is the end of the chapter. This is what we read. This is what we hear. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. And we do give God thanks and we ask his blessing here on this reading of his word and this recognition for us. And, and the, the verse, one of the verses that, that I key in on of those four verses in Hebrews chapter 9 is this very obvious statement, very, very clear to us. It says, for it is appointed once for humanity to die. There, there, there's once. It is appointed once for us to die. We, we recognize that even as we push back against it. We do everything we can to, to prolong life. We do everything we can, understandably, to, uh, to avoid um, facing our own mortality. I think in some ways that's why uh, Veterans Day is so significant for us because we celebrate men and women who have stepped into places where they've been willing to put that mortality on the line. Put, put their lives on the line when so many others um, would not. And so we recognize that, but there's that human nature that we recognize the truth of it and we want to, to avoid it as long as we can. There's a story of, of three uh, friends that were having a conversation, which you've probably had in your lifetime or maybe done an exercise um, similar to in your lifetime, which is they were contemplating what they wanted people to say about them when they passed away. I don't know if you've ever done something where you've written your own obituary and kind of thought of your life with the end in mind. But, so they were having this kind of a conversation. And they said, well, what do you, when, you, when you die and you're laying in the coffin and people are standing over you, what do you want them to say? And the first guy's like, well, I want them to look at me and say that he was a good doctor and he helped many people. And the guy, yeah, he's like, you know, I want people to look at me and say, that I was a, a, a good father and I cared about my family and I loved my wife. And the other guy was silent. And they finally looked at him and said, well, when people are standing over you, what do you want them to say? And he said, that when they stand over me and they look in the coffin, what I want to hear them say of me is, look, he's moving.
because we push back. Understandably, we do. Understandably, we do. But we, we know the reality. We know that we face that. We know that we face it in our own lives. We know we face it um, in the lives of, of those who we love. There's, there's an old Hasidic tale of a, a woman whose son died. And she went to the wise man of the, of the village, and she asked him to perform a miracle. She said, can you bring my son back to life? And he said, I, he said, I, I can do that, but I need you to do one thing first. He said, I want you to go. You must go and find me a hot coal from the fire of a household that has never been touched by death. That no servant or, or member of the household has experienced or tasted the pain or the reality of death in their own lives or the lives of those they love. And so she went on her journey, and of course she came back months and months later with the realization she couldn't find it. She couldn't find one because everyone has been touched by death. And we recognize that, and, and we have this scripture which speaks of that, 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 that we are all appointed a time, uh, there is a time when once, when we will taste, we will face death. But it is a scripture not of, of melancholy, it's not a verse of, of sadness, it's actually written with an attitude of great joy because what the writer of Hebrews wants the church to understand, what we're called to understand, is that death has been redefined, that in the person of Christ, in the work of Christ, as the sacrifice for us, as the ultimate sacrifice for us, that death has been redefined. That death has been re-understood. He said, you know, year after year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people because of the sins of the people and the sin that separates us from God. So the high priest would go in on behalf of the people with the blood of the lamb and would make a, a, a sacrifice that would bring a restoration of this relationship between God and his people. And it happened year after year and year after year. And then Hebrews tells us that Christ becomes our high priest and becomes our sacrifice. And that in his gift, in the laying down of his life, that the cycle stops. Because the sacrifice is made once and for all. It's not something that has to be done repetitively. It is done once and for all. So that our salvation could be secure. So that we participate with Christ in death. But in participating in his death, our life is given new meaning. I mean, we share that with Jesus. That like Christ, or like us, Christ tasted death. But, but so often when we stand, when we celebrate the life of someone whom we loved who has passed away, and we will say things like a great light has gone out, or, or the world has been um, deprived of, of the gifts and the blessing of this individual. But the difference is that for Christ, Christ's death didn't impoverish the world. It didn't take anything away from the world. Quite differently, Christ's death, it gave something. It offered something. It blessed the world so that we no longer have to live in fear of death. Because while it says that we are appointed once to die and then face judgment, what the scriptures, what our faith teaches us is that price has been paid. The gift has been made. The judgment is not something to fear, but the relationship with God through Christ has been restored so that we can live without fear. 
It's interesting that what Christ's death does is it liberates us to live. It's not that we just wait for that day to come, but we can live fully. We can live freely. We can live graciously and thankfully in this life because of what Christ has done for us. But it becomes a promise of what is yet to come. And so Paul can say things like in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, we don't consider these present, present sufferings, these difficulties, um, to be worth taking note of because they're just temporary. Because in the light of eternity, they won't matter. They won't matter because we focus not on what we see, but what is unseen. We, we focus on the long view. I talked about this a number of weeks ago. This becomes the great promise for us that allows us to see that, that the death of Christ and the sacrifice that he makes frees us up so that death becomes part of a divine plan and part of a divine promise of what is yet to come. And this cyclical nature, this, this separating nature of sin and our brokenness from God, it stopped at the death of Christ. When Christ was on the cross and he proclaimed, it is finished, he wasn't just referring to his life. He's referring to the work of God in the salvation of the world. He's referring to everything he came to restore and fulfill. And brothers and sisters, that's a great promise for us. That's a great liberation for us. That is a joy for us. And, and Hebrews wants us, and the writers, and the church, and the, 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 the teachers, the disciples, they wanted us to understand that death wasn't the last great enemy. It was the last great conquered enemy. It no longer had the power. And that liberates us. But it's hard for us to embrace that. It is, it is understandable hard because it's an unknown for us. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale tells a story, uses a story as a teaching moment. You may have heard it over the years, and, and I'm going to probably paraphrase it a little less um, eloquently than he told it. But he talked about an imaginary conversation between a mother and her unborn child. And this conversation went something like this. You know, in a, in a few weeks, um, you're going to be born. You're going to be welcomed into this new world. And the baby looks at his mother and says, I don't want to. I don't want to come into the new world. I like it here. I'm comfortable. I'm fed. I'm warm. I'm provided for. I like it right where I am. And the mother says, no, no, no. It's, it's, it would be devastating for you to stay in that place. You must come into this new world. Your brothers and your sisters are here. The sky is blue. There is so much joy. There is so much love. There is so much to experience. You will love and in this new place. And the child doesn't want to come. And he says, if it was up to the child, the child wouldn't come. He said, now, 70, 80, 90 years later, that same child, now having a conversation, not with his or her mother, but with his or her heavenly father. And God looking at us, looking at that child and saying, shortly, you are going to step in to a new reality, into a new experience, into a new life that is, that is blessing beyond what you can comprehend. And I've used every metaphor and image to try to teach you and prepare you for this great blessing, but it is more than you can ever begin to imagine. And the same child looking at their Heavenly Father and saying, no, I don't want to go. I'm comfortable here. I like it here. I know what this is all about. And God looking at that same child and saying, but there is so much more for you. So much more waiting. We, we are that child. We, we kind of have that tendency to push back. No, 
what do I want them to say? He's moving because I want to put it off as long as I can. But God says that through the death of Jesus, through the restoration and forgiveness of sins, through the grace that I've given, you don't need to fear it. You do not need to fear it. Live your life fully. Live your life fully, but know there is greater that is yet to come. In Acts chapter 13, it talks about the death of David, and it says that when he had done everything that God had appointed him to do, he died. He went to lie with his ancestors. And, and the call upon us is to seize our lives and to live in such a way that that becomes live until you have spoken every word of your life. Every word that you've been called and created to do, live it fully, embrace it, and give it all. In fact, that's, that's the gospel. We let it all go. Even the fear of death, we let it go. We empty ourselves for others and in the service of Christ. We do that passionately and faithfully with the knowledge that there's something greater that yet awaits. That is our joy. We, we sat yesterday at that Marine Corps birthday bash, and, and they had the table that was set for no one to sit at with the, the symbols that accompany the table that is to remember the, those who were killed in action or missing in action, those who didn't come home, except they did. They did. Just not the way that we would have wanted. But they did. That's what Hebrews says. You will come home. Christ has restored you. Christ has made a way for you. Christ has given himself for you. It is the sacrifice above all sacrifices. And in the death of Christ on the cross, it stopped. The cycle stopped. No longer would the sacrifice be necessary for once and for all. We were made right with God through faith. Live your life fully, but know the way has been prepared for you. The promise has been given for you. The sacrifice has been made for you. And that is the gift of Christ Jesus. And in him, it has all stopped for those who believe. Amen? Friends, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of Christ and for the gift of faith and the gift of life and the promise that you give us through the price that was paid at Golgotha. Lord, we celebrate your gift in Jesus. We cling to him with a faith and a passion that says that we can live fully and abundantly in this life because what is yet to come has been prepared and made clear. And so, Lord, we give you thanks. We celebrate the gift that you've given and we offer our hearts to you in faith and obedience. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Friends, let's stand as we sing our hymn of commitment this morning. Oh, how I love Jesus.
celebrate your love, that love that knew no boundaries, the love that gave yourself 